0: Welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from the Debbie Matthews Nashville Realty Newsroom in Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Wednesday, January 31st, and we start with local news. A joint investigation by the Drug Enforcement Administration and the Williamson County Sheriff's Office has resulted in the arrest of three individuals for possessing with intent to distribute approximately 32 kilograms of cocaine in Spring Hill. Announced United States Attorney Henry C. Leventis. The complaint charges Carla Lizette Hernandez, 41, Carla L. Ayala Hernandez, 18, and Ronald Giovanni Flores, 37, all from Houston, Texas, with possession with intent to distribute. On January 17th, the three were traveling in a truck, which a Williamson County Sheriff's deputy determined was speeding and following another vehicle too closely in snowy and icy conditions. None of the occupants had a valid driver's license. A canine indicated the possible presence of narcotics in the vehicle. A subsequent, subsequent search of the vehicle led to the recovery of 32 kilograms of cocaine wrapped in black electrical tape, 30 of which were concealed inside the door panels of the truck. Assistant U.S. Attorney Rachel M. Stevens is prosecuting the case. General Motors' Spring Hill workers, along with 45,000 others who are part of the United Auto Workers Union, will receive a profit-sharing check come February, according to the automaker on Tuesday. The Spring Hill GM plant has more than 3,000 members of the UAW employed at the 11 million square foot plant. They could receive up to $12,250. For 2023, GM's North America pre-tax profits were $12.3 billion, down 5% from $12.9 billion a year ago. The amount of the profit-sharing checks is based on $1,000 for every $1 billion in annual earnings before interest in taxes or pre-tax profits for North America, the Detroit Free Press reported. The checks are paid out in increments of $250, which is why it is $12,250 and not $12,300, GM spokesman David Caldwell said. But to make the full payout, an hourly employee must have accrued 1,850 or more compensated hours during 2023. The $12,250 that GM's UAW-represented workers will receive is not as much as their 2022 payout of $12,750, the highest since 2016 when it was at $12,000 per employee. The payout was not just for full-time and permanent employees either. For the first time, GM's union-represented temporary employees and those at GM's battery facilities are now eligible for profit-sharing under the new national agreement the union has with GM, a UAW source confirmed. On October 28, the plant at Spring Hill, GM's largest assembly facility in the country, walked off the assembly line and joined the strike. The members have spoken. After years of cutbacks, months of our stand-up campaign, and weeks on the picket line, we have turned the tide for the American auto worker," said UAW President Sean Fain. The stand-up strike was just the beginning, he said. Just a few days later, the strike was suspended. The strikes began on September 14th and continued for more than two months. The strike forced contract negotiations with raises from at least 33% to over 160%. After cost of living adjustments and compounded wage increases, members received raises of at least 33 percent with some of the lowest paid workers receiving raises of up to 160 percent. Tens of thousands of auto workers saw immediate raises of over 40 percent upon ratification. Workers no longer need to pay I'm sorry needed to wait eight years before seeing wage progression. the union was able to secure a three-year wage progression to the top pay rate. The UAW won commitments at all three automakers that will bring thousands of electric vehicles and battery jobs. For the first time in 15 years, current retirees will receive annual bonuses, a $1.25 billion boost in their benefits. Across all three companies, workers hired before 2007 won an increase to their pension multiplier. And although workers hired after 2007 did not win defined benefit pensions, the employer con- contribution to their 401k increased by 10%, which will double many members' annual 401k contributions over the life of the contract. The Murray County Commission is requesting support from the state to ensure greater financial revenue attached to continued rapid population growth. The Commission approved unanimously last week a resolution for state leaders to amend the state's County Powers Relief Act of 2006, which provides adequate facility taxes to communities experiencing rapid growth. With growth comes the increasing need for enhanced infrastructure and and services like utility services and new schools. The Commission is seeking alternative ways to create revenue to avoid increasing county property taxes to pay for the extra people and services new development brings. The current act forbids county government from enacting an impact fee on new developments, though it is not restricted from individual municipalities. The Commission's request is that state leaders amend the current law to allow the county the same opportunity. Property taxes have been increased more recently in our high-growth counties. Happened in Sumner. Here, it's happening in Williamson and Rutherford County, James Dunn, lobbyist in the Tennessee General Assembly, said. In the future, if you do not wish to increase property taxes and want to protect our existing Murray Countians from further increase, we've got to figure out how to pay for this growth, he said. According to the 2020 census, Murray County is the fastest growing county in Tennessee, while Rutherford ranks among one of the most populated counties. Dunn added that the deadline to file bills in the state house is January 31st and February 2nd in the Senate, which on average can be up to 4,000 bills annually. Murray County's adequate facilities taxes on new development currently caps off at $0.50 per square foot for residential construction and $0.30 per square foot for commercial property, an amount the Commission calls woefully inadequate in meeting the demands for additional services the county has experienced. By opting into the County Powers Relief Act, the adequate facilities tax will be forfeited, as the current law currently states. We've got a bill that will allow you to retain your ability to tax non-residential development that is already in place, Dunn said. That's future build so we don't put the burden on existing Murray County taxpayers. The Murray County Commission is asking the legislative delegation to support any bills presented to repeal or amend the County Relief Powers I'm sorry, the County Powers Relief Act to allow Murray County to be placed on a level playing field with municipalities to have the authority to collect impact fees on new development. State Representative Scott Sipicki said there are a lot of options currently being discussed at the state level to provide funding assistance for rapidly growing counties and that while this request could provide relief, it's going to take multiple solutions to make a lasting impact. I think it would be disingenuous for anybody to say this whole thing is going to solve the growth problems, Sipiki said. There is no silver bullet for this, but there are tools we can put in the toolbox to lessen the impact of growth, he said. Commissioner Ray Jeter commented, saying this is the third attempt at amending the act, and he hopes this request would act as the start of a long-term relationship with state lobbyists fighting on behalf of local taxpayers, and that this would make a big difference to the nearly 100,000 Murray County citizens. We definitely need somebody who can fight those battles for us in the trenches, Jeter said. This commission is a fighting commission, and we'll load up every one of us and go to Nashville to fight in the trenches with you when that time comes. We just ask that we be kept in the loop, and when those opportunities might be, even if that means four or five times loading up to go to Nashville, we'll be there, he said. Commissioner Gabe Howard added that utilizing the help of lobbyists in a growing county is important because the legislation isn't necessarily tied to one partisanship, but is intended for everybody. It's legislation that matters for growing communities like ours, Howard said. Spring Hill City leaders are discussing possibly purchasing the historic Martin Chair's House or Ferguson Hall in Spring Hill in an effort to maintain its lasting historic preservation. The Board of Mayor and Aldermen and the Municipal Planning Commission met this week in a joint meeting where talks of a potential grant application to purchase the historic property were discussed. The item was presented by City Alderman Vincent Fuqua, who said there is an opportunity to secure federal funding for the purchase. I've spoken with a development group, very high level, on whether they would be interested in selling Ferguson Hall to Spring Hill, Fuqua said. The next step would be to hear about the grant opportunity, followed by maybe directing staff to do a letter of intent to that group so we can get an appraiser, evaluate some of those costs on what that looks like, and move forward, he said. The property dates back to the mid-1800s and has served not only as a residential home, but also as multiple schoolhouses, as well as the Church of Christ Tennessee Orphan Home, and later as part of the Tennessee Children's Home. Alderman Matt Fitterer, on discussing the grant, said the city would only be able to apply for it once there is a purchase agreement in place. It basically covers the assessed value and anything between the assessed value and purchase cost for the city to make up, Fitterer said. Using made-up numbers, if the assessed value is $1 million and we have a contract to purchase it for $1.5 million, we would get $1 million from the grant and then come up with the other half million. Alicia Fitz, Spring Hill resident and chairperson of the Spring Hill Historic Commission, said the purchase would be a great opportunity to not only preserve the structure but also the landscape and surrounding property, as well as a beacon for the city's Old Town district. If we have an opportunity, please let us count on the city to take the lead on that, Fitz said. This particular property is valuable to the city not only for the Civil War stories and what happened around the Civil War, it's actually been the heart and soul of Old Town for years, she said. Fitz added that preserving Ferguson Hall would also present a sense of belonging that is lacking in Spring Hill. For a city that's gone from one square mile with 1,200 people to 30 square miles and 60,000 people in 30 years, taking a proactive effort to recognize the places where we started is really important, Fitz said. Vice Mayor William Pomeroy said he would be in favor of pursuing the purchase and that in addition to federal funding, there are other options for state grants the city could also explore. It lets us tie into the chair story, the General Earl Van Dorn story, and others at Ripa Villa as well, Pomeroy said. You've got a thumbs up from me, he said. As far as the next step, City Attorney Patrick Carter said issuing a term sheet or letter of intent to the seller would be the right way to go. The city would also fund the property's appraisal, he said. If you're buying property, the appraisal part is a small deal, Carter said. I think we should do that, and if we do, we should also do a phase one to make sure we don't have any environmental issues we wouldn't want to inherit over there, he said. Thanks to a sweetheart team-up, Columbia has a vibrant new cafe option for locally sourced, house-made menu items at August Sage Cafe and Lounge, one of the newest restaurants to join a burgeoning collection of eateries at the factory at Columbia. Fixed front and center at the entrance of the factory, August Sage is the brainchild of Columbia couples Sarah and Andrew Carleton. focused on offering brunch, lunch, anytime shareables, and an array of coffee and mixed drinks to customers looking for a unique range of flavors. The cafe's grand opening is February 1st. They say they have some practice as moderately seasoned restaurateurs with a passion for food and drink. Sarah once served as manager of another popular eatery, Buck and Board, in downtown Columbia, where she learned about the restaurant business. As we were contemplating this new idea, we passed through the factory and saw a for-lease sign outside of what is now our cafe, Sarah Carlton said. We started exploring the idea, and we couldn't stop thinking about it. So we just went for it, and we couldn't be happier, she said. Customers have remarked about the careful attention spent on the build and renovation of the location, from the interior decor and warm appeal to furniture, custom concrete, extra-long bar top, and craftsman shelving. Sarah proudly credits the interior work to husband Andrew, a professional woodworker, mentioning his open-door process while they were building out and decorating the space. A carpenter with his own business, Andrew Carlton built most every piece of the new restaurant, making it truly a combined labor of love for the couple. We left the doors and windows uncovered so that anyone who walked through the factory could see our space and the progress being made every day, Sarah said. Praising her husband's build of the tables, benches, tile bar, concrete countertop, behind bar built-ins, the window wall and bench seating, she said even the charcuterie platters are custom fixtures of the café. Decking the cafe out to the hilt with custom builds for the location, the public watched as the new space came together over the past several months. We were in there working every day, she said. People got to see Andrew working and constantly stopped in to express their excitement, she said. A soft opening on December 19th built a lot of interest and anticipation since first mention of their new venture. Now the cafe is in full swing, seeing new customers every day, attracting a new crowd of brunch seekers throughout the week and on Sundays. It's really been neat to see the amount of people walk through and how genuinely impressed and complimentary they are by the appearance of our space, the food that we offer, and the amount of locally sourced items that we carry, Sarah Carlton said. Sauces, dressings, spreads, breads, pastries, and more are housemade or locally sourced at August Sage, as the couple likes being able to promote local business through their operations. Our mission is to have delicious, unique, and house-made items you aren't able to find anywhere else in the area, and to use local sources when possible, Sarah said. Discussing the menu with customers tends to generate excitement for the experience of trying something new and different, she said. We offer Columbia a unique space to eat, drink, and relax, Sarah said. We want to be a space where anyone can order anything from our menu and find a new food or drink item that they love and then come back to try the rest of the menu, she said. The restaurant offers featured menu items for morning or evening with a beer, wine and cocktail list. Currently, their Facebook page prompts visitors with mouthwatering photos of new breakfast, breakfast flatbreads, blackberry crunch toast and more. Top menu favorites for customers thus far have been the BLAT, or Bacon, Lettuce, Avocado, and Tomato on sourdough, baked in-house by King's Baking owner. Croffle, a creative croissant waffle topped with mascarbone cheese and fresh fruit. And the Croquet Monsieur, or Ham and Gruyere on sourdough topped with baked bechamel, appealing to a wide variety of tastes. Croissants are provided by Savarino's Bakery in Colombia. We do not really have a style of food that we are confined to, Sarah said. We have items on our menu that are inspired by French cuisine, Italian cuisine, Middle Eastern cuisine, and more, as well as ideas that are completely our own. We gravitate towards lighter fare with plenty of healthy options, all served in smaller portions and a la carte to encourage customers to order an assortment of different items and share amongst the table, she said. Those needing a reprieve from the grind of the Mondays can find all-day happy hour specials with $5 craft beer in addition to specials on wine and cocktails. The restaurant has also made waves with local professionals by hosting the Marie Alliance Women in Business Mixer, offering a charcuterie board catering spread. With in-house dining and catering underway, Carlton said the cafe also offers rentable event space at their location. August Sage Cafe and Lounge is located 101 North James Campbell Boulevard, Suite 6 at the factory at Columbia. For more information, visit the restaurant's social media listings on Facebook and Instagram. They're open Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday from 9 until 2 p.m. and 5 to 9.30 p.m., Thursday and Sunday, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., and they're closed on Tuesdays. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mr. Randy Irvin Davidson, 71, a retired machine operator for Union Carbide and a resident of Cullioca, died Saturday, January 27th at Murray Regional Medical Center. Funeral services for Mr. Davidson will be conducted on Friday, February 2nd at 1 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Thursday, February 1st from 4 to 8 p.m. at the funeral home. Mr. William D. Buddy Smith, 76, a resident of Columbia and retired owner and operator of Columbia Fire Equipment, passed away Tuesday at Murray Regional Medical Center. A family graveside service will be conducted on Saturday, February 3rd at 11 a.m. at Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Friday, February 2nd from 4 to 8 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Miss Susan Gail Benderman, 69, former counselor with Centerstone, died Thursday, January 25th at Murray Regional Medical Center. Memorial services will be conducted on Saturday, February 3rd at 2 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. The family will visit with friends on Saturday, February 3rd from 12 noon until the time of the services at the funeral home. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. And why the way you feel has always been so important to Susie and Tony Sowell.
1: When people come here, I hope they feel like they're working with a person who's just like family. And by the time they leave here, I hope they feel like they're a part of our family. What I like most is when a family is leaving, they can say thanks. You made something we thought would be hard easier than we thought it would be. Not that we made it easy.
0: We made it easier. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors. 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern middle Tennessee weather, we will have mostly cloudy skies throughout the day today with a high of about 48 degrees. Winds will blow out of the north at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, we can expect mainly clear skies with a low of 27 degrees. Winds will be light and variable. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today.
1: This is George Rouse with The Way Realty. Please allow me to share a little bit about us. We measure our success by the quality of service you receive. We provide many ways to help you get the most when selling your house, like home staging, landscaping, repairs, professional pictures, and aggressive marketing. Our listings are posted on the MLS, Realtracks.com, Zillow, Realtor.com, and Trulia your house will most likely be your biggest investment for your family and for your future retirement. Let us help you fulfill the American dream by buying, building, or selling your next home. And most importantly, let this new year be a great year by putting Jesus first in your life. Jesus Christ changes lives. I know because he changed mine.
0: Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7. This program is sponsored in part by George Varilis and the great team at The Way Realty. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. Two years after Tennessee lawmakers passed the controversial Age-Appropriate Materials Act, creating restrictions and enforcement of materials accessible to children in public school libraries, a House Republican has proposed a bill that looks to create an easier path for residents to remove content they deem inappropriate from all public libraries. Representative John Reagan of Oak Ridge filed House Bill 1661, legislation that seeks to set up a petition process for residents to remove content from anywhere accessible to minors in public or school libraries if the content is considered contrary to, quote, "...contemporary community standards, whether online or in person." The bill lists a number of things considered contrary to contemporary community standards, such as nudity, excess violence, sexual conduct, and content that is patently offensive or of a prurient interest, among other limitations." While most of these standards are already in current law regulating obscene content, Reagan said the creation of the petition process would help protect libraries from state enforcement by allowing residents to remove content from potential access by minors before a library runs afoul of the law. Given that this is an extension of the obscenity laws, this is actually to protect the library from being charged with criminal offenses, Reagan claimed. By erring on the side of removing the offensive content from minors' access, they are protecting them from being prosecuted for violation of Tennessee obscenity laws, he said. Content in libraries found to go against contemporary community standards would be eligible to receive petitions from residents in the same district demanding immediate removal of the content from potential minors' access. If filed, the petition would go to the district's respective election commission, where it would be validated and then sent to each library in the district demanding that they immediately not display, distribute, or make accessible to minors the content in question. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today.
2: Living with a worn joint can be painful and frustrating. Leave your joint pain in the past with a joint replacement procedure at Murray Regional Health. Our joint replacement program has been recognized in the top 10% of the nation for medical excellence and patient safety thanks to our highly skilled and experienced surgical staff who perform progressive procedures for the knees, hips, shoulders, elbows, and ankles. For more information, go to murrayregional.com slash joint replacement. Murray Regional Health, where clinical excellence meets compassionate care. Have you ever wondered if your insurance needs can be personalized? This is Hunter Carey. Our team specializes in planning your insurance needs to get you the best possible solution. State Farm is the largest home and auto insurer in the country. I love bringing that to my hometown. Born and raised in Columbia, I'm grateful for our close community ties. We offer help with home, auto, and life insurance for everyone in our community. Our office is located at 909 South Garden Street, across from the fire station. We're also online at huntercarey.com. That's huntercary.com.
0: Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee today. And now our final story. Two iconic bands, Train and R.E.O. Speedwagon announced a tour titled Summer Road Trip 2024. The 44 city tour kicks off in July and will stop in Franklin at First Bank Amphitheater on August 18th. Joining Train and R.E.O. Speedwagon on the road as direct support on all dates is very special guest Yacht Rock, Yacht Rock Review. Fans can gain first access to artist presales beginning today, Wednesday, January 31st at 10 a.m. local time until tomorrow, February 1st at 10 p.m. local time. Additional presales will run throughout the week ahead of general on sale beginning Friday, February 2nd at 10 a.m. local time by visiting www.reospeedwagon.com. That's all for this edition of Southern Middle Tennessee Today on Kennedy Broadcasting, WKOM, WKRM Radio. If you ever miss a part or all of this broadcast, you can listen to it anytime or read the transcript online by visiting frontporchradiotn.com. I'll be back tomorrow to update you with the latest news. I'm Tom Price. Thanks for listening. Be safe and have a great day.